This is an ABC podcast. My marriage ended when my daughter was about two. It was not an easy marriage from the start. I was 21 when I married an Australian man. He was nearly nine years older than me. I got pregnant when I was 25 and had this baby at 26. In Australia, I didn't have any family here, so it was pretty difficult for me trying to transition and the marriage dissolved pretty quickly after my daughter was born. When he left, it was it was hard because I basically said, you can take everything, but this baby is mine and you're not taking my daughter. So he, he did take everything. He took the paintings off the walls. But I got the washing machine and the baby. He stopped contributing financially once he got another girlfriend. And, you know, that was that was a tough time for me, but I, I think I just I didn't really think about it too much because my sole focus was just giving this little girl the best life that I could give her despite my financial position in the world. My four boys ranged from 5 to 13 when I became a solo mum. The big thing for me was just how incredibly sad I was. Grieving for a broken dream really hurts. But the boys kind of just kept being busy boys and each coped in their own way. What I realised was how much energy I'd been putting into the relationship. That was energy I hadn't had for the boys. So suddenly, I had so much more time to be a more fun, chilled mum. (laughs) Hey, Maggie Dent here. And if you're a solo mum or dad, I want to tease out what life is like day to day in your home. In this parental as anything, I have some great tips for surviving the tough times, making the most of good times, and just being the parent your kids need you to be. It's been too many years to mention since I was a single mum, so let's meet a couple of parents who are right in the midst of that journey. Lisa Cordiff is a solo mum of three kids under 10, and Michael Ray is a solo dad to his eight-year-old daughter, Charlie. Michael, can I begin with you? Tell me about your journey becoming that single dad in the first place. Maggie, I was a late starter to parenthood, becoming Charlie's dad at 49 years old and Charlie's mum and I separated when she was nine months old so um, I got a little bit of a run up to it at uh, 50-50. Then uh, just my daughter and I from the age of 51 so she was just past her second birthday but luckily I had the support of my mother and my sister and uh, a tribe of wonderful women that uh, were so helpful. What was one thing that was a bit tough in that leap from 50-50 to full-time, Michael? The imposter syndrome as a, as a dad, the being raised and believing all those years that there was some secret source, some, you know, maternal instinct, there was some innate 
all-knowing power that just knew the sound of every cry. And it it wasn't until probably a year down the track that I realised as things got easier that it wasn't so much my daughter getting better at being a kid. It was I'd actually become better at being a parent. Now, Lisa, you're a mum to three children under 10. And your journey as a sole parent started much more recently than Michael. So can you tell me what happened? At the end of February 2019, I separated from my husband. And because of where his health was at, he was actually living somewhere different and couldn't take care of the children. So couldn't have any sleepovers or anything to do with that. He was on his own healing journey. And so it sort of went from all to nothing. I was responsible for the for the children. They still had access to him, but not in a caring capacity. And then unfortunately in September, he passed away uh, while holidaying in India. So it sort of went from the, the kids getting used to him not living at home to then uh, obviously he's not in their life in the physical form at all anymore. So it's been a big 18 months, that's for sure. Oh, wow. That, so that means that you and your children were hit with two major loss experiences in such a short space of time. So how was it managing that grief for the kids? They all reacted very differently. We found out that he passed away on a Saturday and it was my 40th the week after and I had the kids and I booked for their first overseas holiday to Bali. On the Tuesday we were leaving. We found out he died on the Saturday and we were meant to be jumping on a plane and heading to Bali, the four of us, on the Tuesday. And I made a decision to go and it was the most amazing healing time because we could all just be together. I could observe them. We cried together. We spoke together. But we also had fun together. And so what I experienced was this coexistence of grief and joy that I wanted to give them permission to still have fun, that something really bad can happen, you know, really for a kid. It's kind of like worst case scenario. And yet we all had sore mouths after being on the water slides at Waterbomb and uh, they had, you know, what they would consider one of the best holidays of their lives. And I think that set the tone because the thing that they needed the most was me, was access to just downtime, processing time, Everything was just chill um, for that whole final term of 2019. And that was a really good thing because there was a lot of separation anxiety. There was a lot of, you know, nights I was holding their hands to sleep and cuddling them to sleep and doing all the things that you would normally do. But I think what, as a parent, I was just observing them and watching for changes, just looking for openings, uh, not forcing them into anything Uh, and all the therapies. So I was like, I don't have the tools. What parent is prepared to deal with the loss of another parent? What you've actually identified is children can only sustain grief for small pockets of time, whereas we adults carry it and we don't put it down. So you created a golden opportunity for them to be in both spaces in Bali, but you also showed them that recovery is possible, that it's not going to be a never ending journey of sadness. So well done, Lisa. Okay, now, Michael, we know that TV has portrayed dads as either being buffoons or heroic and not much in between. (laughs) Did you get that judgment from people? And 
Do you have a really good response to well-meaning people who imply that you're not capable of doing those things? It's one of the most common things. Tally one day at kindy commented on another girl's plats. So being conscious of her not missing out, I went and got lessons from a hairdresser. <laughs> awesome. And it was one of our favourite things. Charlie would find a hairstyle on YouTube with lessons and we would sit there and we would do it and she'd be so proud. And you know, it would be constantly, oh, hasn't mummy done a great job? And she, no, daddy didn't. And you get the, oh, aren't you clever? And that's what I would say. You know, I've built cars from the ground up, run my own businesses. <laughs> and because I've managed a plat, doesn't make me exceptional. Talk to me about the sleepless nights or, you know, sleeping on the hospital chair while Charlie was sick or those sort of things. But, you know, the um, plaudits just for keeping the kid basically functioning (laughs) and dressed. Uh, I understand they're well-meaning, but they're also a little bit derogatory without meaning to, to be that way. What are your top tips for not just surviving? We all know there are days for every parent when they only just survive. So not just surviving, but thriving as a single parent. Lisa? I have a history of being horribly self-sufficient to my detriment. And I think soul parenting forced me to really see I can't do everything here and the kids are okay when I'm okay. And I needed to start to lean in to asking for help in a way bigger capacity that made me feel comfortable actually. So I hired a cleaner straight away to help me just keep on top of the house. I also run my own business. So I was very conscious that I couldn't fully fall apart. I gave myself the opportunity to grieve, but I'm I actually can see now I went into overdrive a bit. I was all about the children and helping them through. And so now for me, actually, the last few months have been really an exploration into my grief. So I now have not only cleaners that come once a week, I have a housekeeper who comes the day before and does the clean before the cleaners. (laughs) I have a, a personal assistant who just helps me with things like putting my car in for a service and stuff like that. It's not many hours that she spends, but... For me, it's been the mental load and just knowing that there's people out there who I can get support from. What you're talking about is lowering the stress and obviously hiring help isn't financially possible for a lot of soul parents, but there are other ways to find help, aren't there, Lisa? Yes. The other thing that helps me thrive is that I've grown my village for not only for myself, but for my children. I did feel in the beginning, uh, especially when Nick passed away, that I was the only one who could hold the space for the children. But the more they have access to their aunties and uncles and grandparents and, and just close friends, the more I can see the fabric of their life, it's thicker. So it's only going to be to mine and their detriment if we're kind of stoic about thinking we need to bring it all. The fabric, I love the way you said that. It's the thickening of the fabric that will support them, especially when they get a bit unpleasant sometimes in adolescence. Now, Michael, how about you? What, What are your top tips? Enjoy the ride. It changes and it's meant to be fun. I love, there's a quote by Jane Goodall that says, if chimpanzees have taught us anything about parenting, it's that it's meant to be fun. Most of the times, if I find Charlie's pushing my buttons, it's more to do with me than with her. And that, that's where I'll take the oh, pull up. I'm about to say something critical. 
I'm tired, I've had a bad day, I've had this, it's not her fault. Relax, get involved and be in the moment. Lisa, how do you create one-on-one time with each of your three kids? We know it's important, but how do you do it when there's only one of you? Yeah, this is hard. And I didn't really realise how much they were going to want that. So what I, and I stole this from a friend, she gives her kids a day off each term. So it's a day where they get to choose whatever they want to do. They get to look forward to it and all focus and attention is on them. It's nice for me too. I enjoy them one-on-one. They just say things that they might not say in the group setting. And Michael? Sundays were always Charlie's day, especially going through the divorce when we were 50-50 and Sunday, Monday, Tuesday were hers, so I refused to work, rearranged my life. But Sundays are Charlie's day. She gets to pick what we do, where we go, what we wear. So Saturday night, it usually starts with a big long list with check boxes. Sometimes there'll be 20 items. But then she'll write, Dad, we're going to be wearing pink shirts tomorrow and so could you get your shirt out and matches it all up. And it's amazing to see, as Lisa said, her choices and thought process that goes through some of these things. It's just amazing. Now, Lisa and Michael, we know that life just does move on. And so finding a new love can make for interesting times. So, Michael, tell me, how has this been for you and Charlie? For the first five years, Maggie, I've made a conscious decision to to stay single. I couldn't risk people coming in and out of Charlie's life at that stage and I didn't think it was fair on anyone else if I couldn't focus you know a fair bit of my attention on them as well now I've got the most amazing woman who came along and she's just phenomenal but she also lost her daughter four years old in a car accident you know she's she's my superior in every way she's intellectually spiritually even physically she holds world records so if there's a jam jar with a lid on it that won't open here it gets handed to her (laughs) neither one is going to replace what either one has lost but both are so um, enamored with each other sometimes I'm the one that can feel a little bit marginalised. You know, it'll be, Robin, 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 come here, look at this and say, what about me? You know, it's, but, yeah, it's just fantastic. And I think you would have grown as a man in that journey before Robin turned up, which is also a good thing. Lisa, have you tried dating or introduced the kids to a new partner? Are you ready for it? I mean, who's prepared for anything, really? I think the thing that I find the biggest lesson about it all or what I'm most conscious of is that I really like the vibe that we've cultivated in our home. I like its calmness, the connectedness, the pace, you know, and I think I'm going to be protective of that. And, you know, as a 40-year-old woman who's on the other side of a marriage and, you know, I mean, I just find it all quite thrilling. And uh, and it's and it's sort of something, that side of things is just really so uh, selfishly for me. It's just something that I'm exploring for myself. I know it can be hard following from a separation or divorce for a sole parent to find social groups. Now, are you drawn to other single parents, Lisa? Well, it's just like anyone who's gone through something similar to you. When you find people who've been in that experience, who've come out the other side, I I have a tribe of warrior women who I really call on, who validate everything that I'm feeling. Don't try to make it better. 
I'm grateful every day. I actually feel like my relationships have gotten richer. Is it harder for you, Michael? It's funny, Maggie, with guys, I notice we tend to socialise around activities. And a lot of those things um, are just no longer uh, possible. But I became an honorary mum in nearly every group, whether it's the gymnastics or the ballet, or I was one of the girls to the point where some of the conversations I would have to put my hand up and say, <laughs> please, ladies, like, you know, I don't need to know about this stuff. So if you've just met someone who was newly single, what would you just want to say to them that might be something they could, you know, really take away with a bit of optimism and courage? I found the single parenting actually easier than the demands of a relationship with kids. There was just another plate to keep spinning, whereas Charlie and I have this thing, what has to happen is called what has to happen because it has to happen. So you become very conscious of your time and it actually gets easier the more you go along and you just go you know what I'm here in the moment and I'm going to make the most of it and the bad days they'll pass and the good days enjoy them. I think that I'd say that you have more choice than you realize and that you get to choose the story of this. You can create as you go And letting go of any attachment to the way you thought it was going to be is so freeing for everyone. It means you can let go of anger or resentment or all of those sorts of things. It is what it is now and you get to choose the story from here. And, you know, give yourself permission to be a little bit messy with it all. I forgive myself on the daily for anything that maybe didn't go well. I I see everything as an opportunity to learn a lesson and and grow. And I just keep focused on, I think we've said the word so many times, connection with my children. And most importantly, that can come when I'm connected to myself. I have a belief that if you're unable to give, you know, love and acceptance to yourself, then you're unable to give it to your children 100% under all these challenges of parenting alone. There's always got to be unexpected gifts and silver linings. Michael, what are yours? Oh, the, the connection with my child, Maggie, it's just magical. She's like my own little Petri dish experiment to just notice the things that are going on and the developmental stuff that just pops up and you think, wow, where did, where did that come from? And then every now and again, you hear yourself coming back out of her mouth where it's like, Dad, you can do this. You know, you just have to try. And it's like, wow, like, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Oh, that's awesome. And Lisa? I think the silver lining is that I get to witness it all. Sometimes it can feel monotonous and boring and draining and all those things. <laughs> and then I just think, I get to see this. I am a witness to their lives. I get to soak up it all. And I remind myself, I'm so lucky. Michael and Lisa's stories reminded me a lot about when my boys were in this situation. One of the things I actually noticed miraculously is that they stepped up much more and even offered to help sometimes. I didn't see that coming. So maybe this is an opportunity to remind your kids that they're part of a team. 
tell them, I need your help so that we can work together to create a home that's happy for all of us. Because (laughs) the more tired I get, the more grumpy I get. And oh, no, we don't want to go there. Be organised, but also flexible. When things get a bit too chaotic or too rigid, our kids get stressed and that's not good for any of you. So tweak it and find that right balance. Plan ahead so you can really take pressure off, but remember, let you and your kids off the hook when things don't go to plan. There is one thing when I look back at my time being a solo parent, I wished I'd done differently, seriously. I wish I'd said yes more often to the help that was offered. Good friends offered me time to hang out with the kids so I could have a break, but no, I tried to be some sort of martyr. You must accept help. And if you're a friend of a solo parent, ask them, what can I do that makes your week a bit better? Could I take the kids for the afternoon? Do you want to come for a walk with me? Could I drop off something like coffee or chocolate? Could I pick something up? Because I guarantee every sole parent will have a different thing that they could use your help with. But please remember, don't treat them with sympathy as though they need the help because they really are strong and feisty survivors. If you are a sole parent looking to grow your village and your safe connectedness, check out The Pineapple Project. The fifth season is all about tackling ideas for community and connection. One of the most important things you can do now for your well-being is to invest in your relationships. Why is it so important to focus on other people and their needs? Uh, Because that's how the human species survives. You are not a solo performer. You're a member of a choir. If we can navigate challenges in a hobby, then we know that we've got that ability to take on challenges in other parts of our life. I didn't know any of my neighbours. Other people are scary. Why would you make friends with other people on your street? And now all of a sudden I know 90. You can subscribe to The Pineapple Project on the ABC Listen app or on podcasting apps like Apple and Google. Next time on Parental as Anything from Soul Parenting to Co-Parenting. Oh, it's nice to share the load with someone else, but let's be honest, it's not always easy. I don't think anything will grow you up like raising a child with someone that you once loved and thought you would spend your life with and you are now separated or divorced and raising that child. If we can approach it in the midst of our own sadness or heartache or anger or hurt, the defining thing in how a child fares after divorce is whether the parents get along. That's next on Parental as Anything with me, Maggie Dent. <laughs>